Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Good morning. It's lovely to be with you. Uh, you can tell I'm not from Wales originally. Uh, I'm going to try and do the accent because that would just be embarrassing for everybody. Uh, but it's lovely to be with you this morning. If you've got a Bible with you, we're going to continue with our summer series in the book of James, and we're into chapter 4 this morning. And so if you've got a Bible, turn it on or open it up, uh, and it'll be on the screen as well. And we're going to read most of James chapter 4, and then we'll, we'll dive in together. So James says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That's why the Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Let's just uh, drop down to verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What's your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live or do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm going to check that my clicker works here. Hooray! Brilliant. There are two ways that you can live your life, says the Bible. Actually, there are lots of ways you can live your life, but however you choose to live your life, you are ultimately living on one of two paths. The first path looks like this. We we take a look at the world around us and we see that the world holds promise of all sorts of things that promise joy and happiness. And we're human beings and we, we want to be happy. Human beings want to be happy, right? Who doesn't want to be happy? And so we, we choose to give everything that we have to find our happiness in those things. And we, we, we know full well and we learn pretty quickly in this life that no one's going to just hand us those things. And so we will take control and we will do everything that we can to get what we want that we think will make us happy. That is one way you can live your life. And then the Bible tells us that there's another way. The Bible tells us that God himself has stepped down into human experience in Jesus that he's lived among us, that he has died for us, that he has taken on himself all of the punishment for all of the sin and the rubbish and the mess that we have ever done. And in doing so, he has opened up a whole new way for us to live. A way where it is not us in control of our own lives anymore. 
And the goal is not to, for us to get what we want out of stuff and out of things and out of reputation, out of money, out of career, all of that stuff. The goal is relationship with God. And through Jesus, God has opened that way to us. It would not have been open to us, but now it is. We have been offered relationship with God. There are two ways that you can live your life this morning. And, uh, and what I want to ask you is this. Which way are you living? Now, we, we all know, a lot of us went to Sunday school, and we know the answer is always Jesus, right? So and we would say, well, obviously, I'm a Christian, I'm living for God. Then I would ask you this. If there was somebody who was with you every waking moment of the day, who could see into your deepest and inmost thoughts, what would they say you were living for? What, does it, what, do, what is the first thing that we think about when we wake up in the morning? What is it that occupies our thoughts during the day? What do we dream of? What do we look forward to? What do we give our time to? What do we give our money to? What do our lives actually say? Well, all of us know, all of us know people who are sold out, totally sold out for the first way of living. Because there's so much money to be made in advertising that way of living to us. It's on our TV screens, it's on social media, it's, it's grand designs, a bigger kitchen, a nicer car, a better career, a better job, more money, more friends, more popularity, more likes, all of that. We all know what that looks like and we all know people who are sold out for that. And I dare say that we all know some people and we look at them and we think, my goodness, they are sold out. The only thing that they live for is relationship with God's. But for the majority of us, and I include myself absolutely in this, if we're really honest, the answer is, well, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm somewhere in the middle. We want Jesus. We've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good. We know that he is the way to eternal life. We know that the Bible tells us that his way is the best way. We want him. Ah, but we want this other stuff too, don't we? Oh, but there's just something about, it's just something about the shiny magazines and the posts on Facebook and Pinterest and all of that stuff. There's just something that's very difficult for us to put down. There's something about what it feels like when we're complimented, something about what it feels like when people love us and people uh, value us, something about all these other things. And so we end up with a foot in both camps. And James this morning has words to say to us about that. And James uh, is like his brother. I'm not sure what it was like growing up in the Mary and Joseph household, but I wouldn't have wanted to cross Mary, seeing how Jesus and James turned out. And, uh, and James says this in, in verse 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity towards God, hostility towards God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. In other words, you can't do both. You can't live with one foot in either camp. You're either living for the world and you're in control of your life or you're living for God and he's in control. The two are incompatible. And James, as he always is, is borrowing from the teaching of his brother Jesus. When you look throughout the James, you notice that one thing pops up again and again and again, and that's the Sermon on the Mount. He often references teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
You cannot serve both God and reputation. You cannot serve both God and a comfortable retirement. They cannot both be your goal. Now, it's not about having those things or not having those things. It's about serving those things. But notice what Jesus says. He does not say you should not. He says you cannot. When we were first married, my my wife Christine and I have been married for 18 years. And when we were first married, uh, uh, Christine had a bit of an adventurous streak. I have no adventurous streak whatsoever. If I want to be adventurous, I'll go to Tesco's. I will buy the medium-strength chili sauce, not the mild chili sauce. I'm like, whoa, wild. Uh, Christine's not like that. She's actually an interesting person. And she, um, she was like, 14 years ago yesterday, it popped up on her Facebook feed. She was like, let's go skiing. And I was like, no. And she was like, yes, and we're married, and marriage is about compromise. So we compromised on yes. And so we, <laughs> we went skiing. And we went to Cardiff Dry Ski Slope. And I looked up at this thing and I was like, I am going to die. <laughs> and, uh, and so the, you know, it, was a, it was a beginner's lesson and whatever. And the instructor gave us all the, the gear and gave us all the instructions and things. And, he, and I don't remember most of what he said, but I remember he said this. He said, whatever you do, don't cross your skis. If you cross your skis, you're stuffed. So up I go onto the ski slope, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm giving it all, all, all this, you know. There's, there's like eight-year-olds just going past me, and, and I'm thinking, oh, I've probably been doing it since they were five. It's all right. So here I go, and I'm just thinking to myself, don't cross your skis. Don't cross your skis. Don't cross your skis. And so I'm intentionally trying to keep my legs apart. And what starts to happen, I don't know if it's ever happened to you, is I start like this, and then I'm like this. And then I'm like this. And then I'm like this. And this is okay. I mean, it's a, it's a bit ridiculous. But for a second, this is all right. Um, until it wasn't all right anymore. Because this foot was going that way. And this foot was going that way. And they reached a point where they could not diverge anymore. And I went over. And, uh, and I was in uh, casualty shortly afterwards with a broken elbow. No one ever broke their elbow eating medium chili sauce, did they? Honestly. There is a point in our lives where the pull of these two ways will become untenable. We can live with both of those things. We can. But there is a point past which, inevitably, it becomes impossible. A point past which we, we probably won't fall over on our faces like I did. What will happen is we will inevitably start drifting one way or the other. That one leg will end up going the way of the other. And Jesus is really clear about this in Matthew 7. He talks about these two ways. He calls them, likens them to two roads and he says, or two gates. He, he says, enter through the narrow gates. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through that. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. In other words, if you're going to drift, you will drift towards the world's way. Because it is just so much easier. And so James and Jesus are absolutely clear. We can't live in this, in this double-minded way. And in, in verse 8, and this is really the take-home verse, I guess, for today, James says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Jesus wants all of you, all of your devotion, all of your love, all of your submission. Submit yourself, he says in verse 7, to God. All of it. 
Give it all to Jesus and get rid of your double-mindedness. If you own an electronic device, you will have spent, uh, and you spent any time on it this last week, you will have been bombarded with all of the reasons to to be double-minded, all of the wonderful, shiny things that this world has to offer us. And so this morning I get just uh, 10 minutes or so to give us, well, to let James give us three reasons not to buy it, to give it all, all of it, all of our heart, all of our devotion to Jesus. And the first one is, in, is this, doing anything else, living our own way, trying to take control of our own lives and set our own goals is absolutely ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. Verse 13 to 16, listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, there are, we all know those couples where one of you is the planner and the other is the winger. And I don't want the wing. you know who you are, the wingers. And I don't want the wingers to go home and be like, oh, do you know what? Planning is evil, says so in the Bible, doesn't it? We're not supposed to plan, we should just, we just make it up as we go along. That's not what James is trying to say here. In fact, in verse 15, he, he, he makes it really clear. He says, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So it's not the planning that's the problem, but in all of our planning and in everything that we do, in fact, in all of our lives, we should acknowledge that everything we do is ultimately subject to his control. And here's the reality, that remains true whether or not we accept that it's true. We might choose to think that we are in control of our own lives. Now, we're not going to sort out in the next 15 minutes or so uh, the the, the theological problem of our will versus God's will. Suffice to say, we have real decisions to make with real consequences. But over and above all of those decisions, God is ultimately in control of everything. James says, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Everything you have that you have achieved, that you have won for yourself, ultimately is a blessing from God. Your next breath is not guaranteed. James says, you should say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live. Never mind, go to this place or that place. If it is God's will, you will wake up in the morning. If it is not, you will not. He is absolutely in control. And we might decide that we're going to live our way, but that doesn't change the reality of God's control. It is all of it an illusion. We are ultimately subject to God's sovereignty, whether we like it or not. And so trying to say, I'm the master of my own destiny, I will do it my way for my goals, it's ridiculous. Not not ridiculous, it's arrogant, says James. He says, you boast in your arrogant schemes. Why is it arrogant? Well, let me try and take the veil off for a second. God, yeah, is God. He's God. Right now, He knows the location, composition of of 700,000 billion, billion stars. He knit together every one of the 37.2 trillion cells in your body, give or take a few hundred billion for some of us. He is right now worshipped by legions upon legions of angels. He knows everything. He is in control of everything. He has designed the end from the beginning. He is glorious and holy and wonderful and righteous, and he loves you more than anyone else ever ever could including you 
He is magnificent in his splendor. Nothing escapes his notice. He is unbelievably qualified to run our lives. And this God comes and says, this is the way that you should live. And we go, nah. I got C in GCSE maths, and I've seen every episode of Gogglebox they ever made. I think I can do better. It's ridiculous, right? It's not just ridiculous, it's redonkulous. Why would we do that? He is infinitely more qualified to run our lives than we are. I tell you why we don't. We don't believe him. Not that we don't believe in him. We don't trust him. We just trust what our eyes can see. It's so much easier. I will do it my way because I know me. But this, can he really be trusted to run my life? The reality is, he is running it. And the decisions that we make and the victories that we win are because he graciously allows them. So saying, I'll do it my way, is ridiculous. Secondly, let's move on because time's going. Secondly, doing it our own way ruins us and it ruins those around us. Uh, In the first few verses, James says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? They come from your desires that battle within you. We are not made to find our joy and our satisfaction and our happiness in stuff that the world offers. And so what happens when we try, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we, whether we consciously think it or not, is that whenever we gain anything, we're always left wanting more. It promises so much and delivers so little. And we end up with this war going on inside us. This war where James says, you desire but you don't have, you covet, you want what other people have got, but you cannot get what you want. Now, some of us may be, that's literally true. There are things that we so want to have in our life, things that we so want to achieve, and there's just no way it's ever going to be within our means, and we're incredibly frustrated about that. Maybe some of us have achieved a lot of the things that we wanted to do, but yet something is still missing, and with all that we've got, we still want more. TLDR, we will always want more. Because we were not made to find our ultimate happiness in those things. And that war within us can cause massive frustration. It can cause depression as we think, I'm not good enough. I can't achieve what I want to achieve. I'll never get anywhere near where I want to be. It can cause frustration with God, James says. When you ask for these things, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. And so God says, come get on board with my plan. And we're praying for God to get on board with ours. And he says, no. And we think, well, what kind of God is this? It can ruin us. And that war within us then spills around to those, spills out to those around us. What causes fights and quarrels? James has uh, a a massive concern in his book for um, for the the relationships between the people of God. And he says, what happened? What's the root of all this stuff that happens in the church that divides us? Well, it's our double-mindedness. It's our desire to want stuff from the world, from each other. And so that's what leads to envy and jealousy, coveting, wanting things other people have. I wish I had a family like them, a husband or a wife like them, a a car that can go more than 50 miles without the coolant being topped up. Whatever it is that they have that we want, and it breaks relationships. Or the other way around, where where we're subject to pride, and I'm glad that I've got what they don't have. 
A couple of weeks ago, we looked at favoritism. Favoritism is what happens when that desire to get what we want leads us to start treating people as means to our own ends rather than as people made in the image of God. When we try and live for ourselves, under our own steam, with our, our own way, we are, it is like driving a sports car in a freshly plowed field. It's not what we were made for. It doesn't work. It ruins us, and it ruins those around us. And so that's another reason. But there is a third reason, a greater reason, a more important reason, a vastly better reason to submit ourselves to God this morning and purify ourselves of our double-mindedness. And it's found in verse 8, where James says these seemingly so innocent little words, come near to God, and he will come near to you. We might have read that a million times. Contained in those words is the most extraordinary promise that has ever been made to a human being on this earth. The most extraordinary promise. How do we, how do we purify ourselves of our double-mindedness? Because many of us maybe are sitting here thinking, yeah, I know, right? I know it's pointless. I know it's destructive. But hey, doing pointless, destructive things is what we humans do, right? I mean, we, we don't learn from those things. How do we actually get rid of our, how, how do we actually get the faith and the desire, the motivation to get rid of our double-mindedness and give it all for Jesus? It's by believing this. It is by believing that in giving up our control of our own lives, in giving that over to God, we gain something infinitely better than we give up. Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house for tea. You know the story. You might know the story. And Zacchaeus says, right now, here now, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if any, I've wronged anyone, I will pay them back four times the amount. Why did he do that? He didn't do it because suddenly, magically, he had stopped being in love with all the stuff that his great wealth could buy him. He did it because he had found something better. And that something better had walked into his living room and had dinner with him. He did it because he realized that there was a greater and more wonderful reality than all of this stuff that we want so badly. And this verse, this verse promises it to us. Come near to God. Purify yourself of your double-mindedness. Sell yourself out for him and he will draw near to you. What do we get? We get him. We get him. Well, that doesn't, is that a good trade? Yes. It's the best trade any human being could ever make. Why? Because we were not made to find our happiness. I said at the beginning, human beings want to be happy. We do want to be happy. We were made to be happy. It is not a sin to be happy. When, 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 uh, <coughs> when James says, uh, grieve, mourn, and wail, change your laughter to mourning. He's not saying, hey, hey, stop, stop the party and now come and be serious for a minute and come, and come and do the God thing. He's talking about repentance. He's talking about stopping the self-party and recognizing that our lives are on the wrong course. But then he says, if you humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up. The, Christ, the goal of the Christian life is not misery. It is happiness. It is joy. It is not a sin to want to be happy. 
It's where we find that happiness that matters. It's where we, where we look for it. And it is all ultimately found in him. Everything that our hearts truly desire, everything that we were made to desire is found in relationship with God. All of it, comfort and peace and excitement and adventure and identity and worth and value and and everything the human heart really wants is found in relationship with him. All of it, it is what we were designed for. And the more we get rid of, of our double-mindedness. And again, it's not about having stuff. Lots of the things that can become idols in our lives are good things. Relationships, goals, work. These are good, these are good things. But when they become the be-all and end-all, when they become the thing that we think about in the morning, and we think about lasting at night, and that's our goal, and Jesus gets on the sidelines, and we can count on one hand the number of minutes we spent praying, but we need screen time to tell us how long we spent browsing Instagram. When that happens, we have put the wrong thing in the wrong place. We're trying to work for the wrong goal. And ultimately, the greatest reason not to do that is because he is so much better. Better is one day in his courts than a thousand, a thousand elsewhere. And so I have a a a very, very simple challenge for you this morning, and it's James's challenge. What are the areas in your life where you need to purify yourself of your double-mindedness? Maybe this morning uh, we've read those first few verses and, uh, and you said, you know what, that's me, this, this war within me. Maybe this morning you've never taken that first step and you've just lived that first way. But this morning I am telling you, on the authority of Scripture, you were made for more than that. You were made to know God. And Jesus has come and Jesus has died. And Jesus, the only single-minded human being that has ever really lived, Live the life that you should have lived. Died the death that you deserve to die. You can know God this morning. All he wants is all you have. And the amazing thing is, you don't have to purify yourself of your double-mindedness before you take that step. It is not about destination. It is about direction. It is about turning rounds. The party, the the self-party is over. And we submit ourselves to him. And as we are from this day, you can know real life. Jesus puts it this way. Uh, He says, whoever wants to be my disciple will deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. It is the topsy-turvy kingdom of God. It is so countercultural, And yet anyone who has tasted and seen of the Lord Jesus will know. This is where joy is really found. Holly, can you come, please? And we're going to stand and we're going to respond for just a minute. But uh, there's also those of us who are following Jesus. And as we've been speaking this morning, I just want to ask you, where are those moments in your life? Where are those, those moments, those things that we're just refusing to give over to God? Ah, it is so worth giving them up. The only question is, do we believe it? 
And this morning, I don't want to be hard. I don't want to be hard. I don't want to be weighing people down with guilt. James talks about God being jealous for us because he loves us and he longs for us. But then he says these words, he gives us more grace. Grace not to just forgive our double-mindedness, but grace that empowers us to get rid of it and to run hard after that which really matters. And so I'd like us to stand, please, as we finish our time together. And we're just going to sing once through this, uh, this final song. This song, uh, I chose this song um, because it annoys me, <laughs> or it annoyed me. Uh, about 10 years ago in a, a little church up in the valleys, I sang this song. It's, this is my desire to honor you. And the second line of the song says, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. And I sang that, and I just broke, because it's not true. I don't worship him with my whole heart. None of us do. It's not true. And I realized that whoever wrote the song didn't write that as a statement of truth for us to sing. They wrote that as a prayer, because that's where we want to be. This is my desire to honor you. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. None of us are there. And I don't want to oversell this. This war against double-mindedness is not won in a moment. We don't make a decision, deal with it, and then move on. It is the work of a lifetime to give out everything that we have over to God. But maybe this morning, you want to draw a line in the sand. Maybe this morning, you want to say, I am giving everything I have because I want something better. And if that's you this morning, we'll sing this through just once. We'll sing it as a prayer and let's give our hearts over to God again. Let us give everything for the one who gave everything for us. Thank you, Holly. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.